Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday, January 25th, 2024, I'm Gianna Volpe. New York Governor Kathy Hochul's executive budget proposal would force East End school districts to make significant cuts to balance next year's financial plans, according to calculations unveiled last week. Local districts might face a more than 20 percent decrease in state aid. Desiree Keegan reporting on 27East.com that uh, administrators are scrambling to address the proposed cut to state aid with Springs Superintendent Deborah Winter calling any reduction devastating for the district and Southampton Superintendent of Schools Nicholas Dino saying the cuts, quote, gives us this impossible task to build a budget where either we cut personnel or we cut programs because that's where the bulk of our resources go. Like Dino, Sag Harbor School Business Administrator Jennifer Buscemi highlighted health insurance and retirement system increases as reasons why the timing is particularly destructive. East Hampton Superintendent of Schools Adam Fine, whose district could lose $774,241, said he remains hopeful that the state legislature will help reestablish support. Speaking of East Hampton, the East Hampton Town Board unanimously approved contracts with its two law enforcement unions that boost base salaries for police officials by 10% over the next three years. Joe Workmeister reporting on Newsday.com that the agreements extend by two years the contracts between the town and the PBA, which represents patrol officers and detectives of the East Hampton Town Police Department and the Superior Officers Association, which represents the ranks of sergeant, detective sergeant, lieutenant, and captain. The new agreements, retroactive to the first of the year, extended the existing contracts with some amendments through the end of 2026, according to town officials. The board voted to ratify the agreements last Thursday. The police department accounts for $20.5 million of East Hampton Town's $95 million budget for 2024. The police force currently has 65 sworn personnel, according to the department. And finally, Sandland, the, conver- uh, the controversial sand mining operation owned by Wayne Scott Sand and Gravel off Millstone Road in Noyak, has apparently ceased operations. No activity has been seen at the site since it closed on December 22nd, the Friday before Christmas. Stephen J. Coates uh, reporting on 27East.com that in the meantime, the company announced in a letter to customers that it would move its operations to the site formerly occupied by Southampton Masonry at 30 Old Montauk Highway in Wainscott. The news apparently caught many of the sand mine's opponents by surprise and left them speculating whether it was a permanent development. Quote, all I can say is what I see, said New York State Assemblyman Fred W. Thiel Jr., adding there hasn't been any activity there in the past month and customers have been told the retail operation is moving to Wayne Scott. Bob DeLuca, the president for the group for the East End, said, quote, it is our sincere hope that the facility will remain closed and that the next construction activity we see at this facility is focused on reclamation and healing this important groundwater recharge area for the future needs of local residents. 
DeLuca was also at a loss to explain what was happening, saying he didn't know if the DEC had finally stepped up enforcement or if the shutdown was voluntary. Uh, The quote is, it's the exact outcome that should have immediately followed the unanimous decision of the New York State Court of Appeals last winter, but the state chose to ignore the decision and allow operations to continue. At the end of the day, DeLuca added, it's important to remember that this decade-long conflict revolves solely around the long-term protection of our underground drinking water supply, a resource recognized as critical by every level of government and broadly supported through extensive public investment for decades. Reading the weather in Noyak, looking like rain today mainly before 1 o'clock. High near 47 degrees, southwest wind 5 to 8 miles per hour, becoming light and variable in the afternoon. Uh, Rain continuing tonight mainly after 1 a.m. in the morning. Areas of fog uh, low around 39 degrees, east wind 5 to 15 miles per hour. Right now it's 48 degrees. Uh, Getting ready to welcome on to the program author Meryl Ain, who is sequel to her Takeaway Men award-winning novel. We'll be discussing, uh, it's called The Shadows We Carry, and it is our second interview ahead of Holocaust Remembrance Day this weekend. Uh, What do we got on the playlist? It's the Wake Up Edition. Green Day, Wham, Aloe Black, uh, and Dr. Dog. But first, the Peppermint Rainbow, going back to 69 uh, from their record, Will You Be Staying After Sunday? Don't Wake Me Up in the Morning, Michael, on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you trust, music you love.
summer has come and passed the innocent can never last wake me up when september ends like my father's come to pass seven years has gone so fast wake me up when september ends here comes the rain again falling from the stars drenched in my pain again becoming Never forgets what I lost Wake me up when September ends
Orange Mocha Frappuccino. Stay tuned for Thoughtful Thursday. We'll be talking to author Meryl Ng about the sequel to her award-winning Takeaway Men novel called The Shadows We Carry. Right here on WLIWFM, 
Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end But I know where to start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream Life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes Well, that's fine by me So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I didn't know I was lost So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I chance to travel the world but I don't have any plans I wish that I could stay forever this young not afraid to close my eyes but life's a game made for everyone and love is the prize so wake me up when it's all over when I'm wiser prepared for me to cut in I just laid there and I was born at the scene of a crime because I don't want Meryl to stay on bait too long every witness believe a stand and I 
Cutting into Dr. Dog's Wake Up from the Easy Beat record to get our Thoughtful Thursday segment started here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, talking about Shadows We Carry, a story about generational trauma, personal responsibility, and choice, as well as both American and Jewish history, welcoming author Meryl Ain to the Heart to discuss the sequel to her award-winning post-Holocaust novel, The Takeaway Men. Thank you for being with us, Meryl. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciated there was a dovetail to the other Thoughtful Thursday segment that we did ahead of International Holocaust Remembrance Day this Saturday, as that was with historian uh, Dr. Elizabeth Barry White, who was actually part of the DOJ's efforts to prosecute Nazi criminals living in the country. And your novel very much sets the scene for the creation of the Office of Special Investigations, much of it in context of one character, Rudolf Schmidt, who changes identity several times before his right. ultimate discovery. My question mm-hmm. has to do with, with Takeaway take Men, which is, uh, is the extent of his crimes revealed in that novel, or is it a revelation for those who haven't yet uh, read Shadows We Carry? No, it it is it is revealed. It, okay. is, it is revealed. There is a um, survivor who recognizes him at a birthday party. Um, he works in a, a Jewish deli, and he is the uh, delivering. Um, cold cuts to the party and um there is a is a survivor there um his child is is friends with the birthday girl oh did we lose you oh no well hey we'll get the track going and wait for meryl to call back in you know i follow Okay, Ghosts in the Machine. Meryl, continue. So, uh, okay. the, so the, where we were is uh, Nazi war criminal. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, Nazi war criminal working at a Jewish deli after the Holocaust, right. delivering 
cold cuts to it was her 10 year old 10 10 years yeah and mm-hmm. so it would have been both yeah. of the girls right because they're twins right so right. it was their 10th birthday party it was 1957 and um there is a holocaust survivor there who is the father of one of their playmates and he he recognizes him and you know as as it plays out um there is a um Jewish uh, policeman and a news photographer um, who say, you know, you have to confront him. They later, they confront him. They go to the deli and they confront him and he actually admits it. But the point was that, and he promises, you know, he's going to behave himself. In 1957, there was virtually no recourse. um, And, and, and the, the government wasn't interested in Nazis throughout the 50s. And in fact, immediately after World War II, the attention switched to communists. And we even had um, the U.S. government inviting former Nazis um, to participate uh, in Los Alamos and and the space program. We all know the name Werner von Braun, but he he wasn't the only one. So the point was that times changed. And starting in in Shadows We Carry, um, which begins in the 60s and ends in the early 80s, Towards um, the mid to late 70s, uh, there was a renewed interest. Um, there was a mini series on TV called um, Holocaust, and and in fact, in the in the 50s, the, the term Holocaust was was not even used, and and that um, got people's interest. There was also um, a, a writer named Helen Epstein who um, wrote an article in the New York Times identifying children of Holocaust survivors as a distinct group with with distinct um, issues. So uh, Representative Elizabeth Holtzman from New York pushed um, for um, the U.S. government uh, taking um, some kind of action and the Office of Special Investigations under the Department of Justice uh, was created right. um, in, in, you know, during, in, I think it was 79. There was so much of our history, including that note about the term Holocaust and, and how it was popularized, that I learned from the takeaway men. So I can't thank you thank enough you. for, for you. writing this this novel. And I'm very excited for the folks that read the takeaway men because they must be over the moon <laughs> how is well i has the yeah. book the book has has dropped what has the response been like um it's been it's been very good thankfully it's been great now i i had a lot of requests uh for a sequel um and in my mind i i actually did not mean i did not intend to uh and the um, takeaway men when I did um, my my husband who is a journalist and my muse and reads everything uh, he said uh, you know when the end of the takeaway men he said this is the end the book is over and I said no I don't think it's over I have more to say 
so I definitely, I definitely had more to say, and I of course wanted to bring the twins into the turbulence of the, you know, the late '60s oh, yeah. and the early '70s. Um, you know, uh, JoJo has an unplanned pregnancy in the years before uh, Roe v. Wade became the law of the land, and incidentally. I had to rewrite um, the end notes at the end of the book because when I first uh, had my first draft, um, it hadn't been overturned yet. Right. Um, and then they, you know, sort of the, the the political and cultural turmoil. So um, I, I I really I, I knew the characters and I knew where the story was going to go. So and and it has been very well received. And it's and it's it's funny because you you talk about this cultural re- revolution and and everything that we went through uh, through those years, and it's uh, you know released at a time where you can see the same things uh, playing out again, and uh, yeah, well, we, scarily enough. Well, it's it's very scary, and uh, certainly, you know, as the author of two post-Holocaust novels, and I'm also a former um, high school history teacher, my guiding assumption before the October 7th Hamas massacre was that the Holocaust was a unique event in modern history. And, you know, we always had hatred and cruelty and anti-Semitism, but, you know, you always felt that it was manageable and, and rarely life-threatening. And that's why I think, you know, Holocaust Remembrance Day, International Holocaust Remembrance Day this week, uh, you know, has a a, a special um, poignance because there's just been an explosion of, of anti-Semitism throughout the world. Can we talk about the title? Uh, Shadows sure. We Carry, the idea, and the quote that uh, Aaron says that so succinctly describes generational trauma. Can can you just talk a bit about uh, what it means, the shadows we carry? Yes. Well, um, shadows we carry refers to... Uh, well, we all carry shadows, but you know it's the cloud of of the Holocaust, and in in this particular case, and you know there have been studies that not only uh, do the survivors carry this trauma with them, but it impacts um, succeeding generations. And one of the reasons why I I wanted to um, have twins was because I wanted to show um, the the impact. One of, one of the things I wanted to do in the book was to show uh, the impact of the Holocaust on the on the two girls. It's more it's more it's more stark in in the first book, but they both react to um, their parentage and their heritage in very different ways, but they're both impacted. Um, So Bronca is very intense. She's she's very, very anxious. And Jojo tries to be the perfect American girl. But that all all breaks down because 
essentially, I mean, there have even been studies, and I'm not going to go there, but there's studies that say it's it's almost you know genetic the 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 shadow and and of course we all we all um, well and certainly carry the, and, and, the, and certainly the way um, the way that Brian. they were raised you know because you you look at at Aaron and the way that he coped with uh you know being a refugee and uh, being you know losing his first wife and his unborn child in the Holocaust and and being in the displaced persons camp and and coming to he was not to talk about it at all and so you know it it ends up that Jojo who's having these whose nightmares uh from her early childhood in Poland are resurfacing and she was not given the tools to talk about it so it becomes very yeah. disruptive for her yeah and that was that was very very typical right. um you know and and I did do I did meticulous research for both these books and I'm I'm not a child of survivors but I I have um friends who are I've interviewed them I've interviewed survivors and there were really um two ways of reacting to it and certainly in their generation you know most of the survivors did not talk about it you know some like my character Irving Zilberman couldn't stop talking about it and and there was but it wasn't as I said until really the 70s until people um, so to speak came out of came out of the woodwork and and after this um mini series holocaust and the article in the new york times and certainly um the creation of the the osi and then later the holocaust memorial museum and museums all over um you know centers holocaust centers all over the country uh, survivors started Speaking, but it was very rare in that time. They were um, they were almost ashamed. Uh, certainly, right after the war, and and Americans just they wanted to move on. You know, the GIs came home and they wanted to, you know, get married and buy homes and raise families. And as I said, the the government was focused on communists. So really, um, they most for the most part didn't speak about it some did but most most did not so you know when when you've got this looming shadow and you don't know exactly what it was but it was it 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 was a cloud that moved throughout their lives right and you say so you say it was one of the objectives you had let's talk about uh, some of the other ones uh, i appreciated uh how you moved through the '60s, through the '80s. Uh, it was it was nice to see the woman's revolution and uh, mm-hmm. the beginning of of dismantling uh, patriarchy and 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 whatnot. These ideas and and just uh, seeing how far things were. Just in, uh, for example, Bronca trying uh, to get her. Uh, graduate degree uh, from Columbia School of Journalism. 
And that that's based on a true story. I I spoke to somebody, uh, although she she got in, so she must have said <laughs> that she didn't plan to get married and have the family. But just the fact um, that he, the dean was allowed, it was legal to ask those questions. It's no longer legal. Um, it was to, gross. To it was so questions. it was so gross, Meryl, because it, it was okay. He said very uh, very openly, we we need to have twenty percent women, so that we're going. So they they plan to uh, accept the bare minimum. They say we're going to accept twenty women, and uh, they wanted to get the most. From their money, as it were, they wanted to get, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, make sure all or as many of these 20 women were going to be, uh, you know, uh, solely focused forever on one thing, and that is uh, their career. Right. And and that's the way it was. And it, it's interesting. I mean, you, you know, you turn on the TV now and you, I think you see more women reporters and anchors than men. But that, you know, that that's a sea change. And that that did not happen overnight. And and just the, you know, the emphasis on um the, the physical appearance and the assumption that you're going to get married and have children and, i mean that, and and what? that that and that that would uh, preclude you from mm-hmm. having a blo- mm-hmm. a blossoming mm-hmm. successful career and then of course you know when she finally when she did get a job initially you know she's relegated to the women's pages right. and cooking columns and and that that is the way it was yep and, you know, I think we, um, well, certainly people who were around or, pe- or those who weren't around, you know, I, I, I wanted um, to, to shed light on that. Oh, you are grateful for it. Uh, that's the, It's the second story of such uh, that I've read this year on the segment. The last one uh, was a, a local, I believe a true story, and I'm, I'm just blanking on the name now, but it was a, an incredible interview uh, that we did here, and very grateful to you for joining us to talk about the things we carry. Um, I think we 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 got through it. We we ate up the segment and then some. But what haven't Thank you. what haven't we talked about, Meryl? That you want to make sure folks know. Um, are you going to have any events coming up? Otherwise, where where can folks get the book? Uh, well, it is. It's available on Amazon, and if you want more information about um, my books and uh, my writing and events, uh, go to my website, uh, merylain. dot com. That's m e r y l a i n. dot com, um, and um, you know, I'm I'm on Facebook. Um, I also do a podcast called People of the Book, and um, you know I I'd love to to hear from 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 readers. Um, what I the, the big existential questions 
um, that I wanted to raise really um, relate to the Holocaust and certainly to International Holocaust Remembrance Day this year more than ever. I think they're more poignant and that's, you know, who who was responsible, um, what could have been done, if anything, um, and, and, you know, who you know? Do do we, do we do future generations carry responsibility? You know, for for the acts of um, of their parents. And how do we keep uh, such a, a tragic thing from ever happening again? Well, yes. Thank you. Right. <laughs> thank you. Right. I should have said that myself. Well, no. <laughs> You, you said it. Meryl, let's do this in person next time. My very, okay. very best to you. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. It was a great, great question. Hey, we do what we can. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Meryl Lane. This is Dr. Dog. We'll finish off the track, and then I'm actually going to play Wake Up uh, by Rage Against the Machine. It's It's a hard track. But hey, listen to the lyrics. It's it's the book right here. It's Shadows We Carry. Right here on the Thoughtful Thursday segment on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. This edition of The Heart, underwritten by William Riss Gallery and listeners just like you who support us with your donations to WLIWFM.org.
You're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, over the air at 88.3 FM throughout Eastern Long Island and goes to Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, uh, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio. It's the same place you can find all the archived episodes and interviews of The Heart, as well as other programs like Long Island Morning Edition, uh, the Afternoon and Overnight Ramble, uh, and uh, Urban Jazz Experience, Friday Night Soul, Weekend Jamboree. The list goes on and on, my friends. I hope you're up, because if not, this song is about to wake you up. It's Rage Against the Machine. Going back to 92 for this one, uh, talking about the 60s. As we just did in our Thoughtful Thursday segment, I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Rage, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. You're listening to WLIWFM.
Long Island local news on Thursday, January 25th, 2024. I'm Gianna Volpe on WLI WFM. The median home sale price on Long Island, excluding the East End in the fourth quarter, was $635,000, close to its all-time high and 7.6% higher than a year ago, according to a new report from Douglas Elliman and Miller Samuel. A record low number of listings has helped drive prices higher. An expected drop in mortgage rates this year would lower home buyers' interest costs but might increase competition for homes. Jonathan LaMancha reporting on Newsday.com that on Long Island's South Fork, the Hamptons shattered its previous price record with the median sale at $1.85 million, a 45% increase compared with the fourth quarter of 2022, because deals worth more than $5 million made up a greater share of sales than usual. The median price on the North Fork fell 2.1% to $974,250. Despite record prices, uh, despite record prices, excuse me, Long Island's housing market has been in a rut with an unusually low number of houses changing hands, about 53% of all sales in the fourth quarter sold for above asking, a sign there were multiple bidders making efforts. In Suffolk, excluding the East End, the median sale was a record $575,000 in the fourth quarter, 
an increase of 8.5% compared with the same stretch of 2022. That's an all-time high for the county, excluding the East End. In other news, Tony Lambert, a Bridgehampton High School graduate and U.S. Marine combat veteran and a familiar face behind the counter at the Bridgehampton Post Office for the last two decades, will hand out his last parcel on Friday. That's tomorrow as he prepares to move on to a new job at the Kutchog Post Office. The best thing about working in Bridgehampton, where he spent most of his life, is the people he's met throughout the years, said Lambert, 49, who's been working at the post office since 2002. Quote, I've seen newborn babies and watched them grow up to be driving their parents to the post office. He said, I talked to people about sports, their kids and family, the good things and the bad. Stephen J. Coates reporting on 27East.com that Lambert has been living in Mastic Beach since 2021. He put it in for an opening at Kutchog in part to reduce his commute time by 20 to 30 minutes in each direction. Tony said he looks forward to the challenge in Kutchog, where he'll be joining a new postmaster and three-letter carriers. Uh, and finally, although I am, before I read this this final note, I do want to pull up a, a missing person report. And I, I do hope that this, oh, amended release, maybe this person has been found. It says that... All right, well, I'm just going to read it just to make sure because it looks like this person is still missing. Okay, so um, it looks like an elderly uh, gentleman with uh, Alzheimer's from an address on North Sea Road, uh, Mr. James T. Lee. He's 82 years. I'm reading directly from uh, the press release now, quote, he is a dark-skinned, 5'9", slim, elderly male, subject with a salt-and-pepper beard. He wears glasses and usually wears a baseball cap with the word native on it. Uh, he was last seen yesterday afternoon in the area of County Road 39 and North Sea Road. Uh, okay, so that was, uh, yeah, okay, yesterday. He was missing his family noticed his door was left open. The stove was on. Anyone with information, uh, please do immediately contact Southampton Town uh, Police Department. The The photo in there is, is in the release is uh, distorted, but you can get a bit of an idea of what this, this person looks like. Uh, it looks like Southampton Town is currently conducting a search assisted by New York State at the Suffolk County Sheriff's Department, Quag Village Police, uh, the Southampton Fire Department, and the Southampton Village Ambulance. Anyone with information is encouraged to contact Southampton Town Police Department Detective Division at 631-728-3400, or you can email the Southampton Town Tips uh, email. That's crimetips at Southampton Town ny.gov and finally uh, with an accumulated kitty of 5.8 million dollars as of the end of November 2023 the Southampton Town Board voted this week to tap into its new community housing fund for the first time for its first purchase under the new program 
The board voted at its regular meeting Tuesday to buy a 3.8-acre parcel of vacant land in Watermill for $4.3 million from the Yule Family Trust. Tom Gagola reporting on 27East.com that the parcel fronts Montauk Highway and uh, according to Southampton Town Director of Housing and Community Development, Kara Bach, Bach uh, affords the town with a unique opportunity to to produce affordable housing east of the Shinnecock Canal. The property is currently zoned as CR60. It'll require an increase in residential development density in order to develop that housing, Box said. That means a change in zoning, which will be taken up by the board and the ZBA at a later date and following a public hearing before the board. That change in zoning would allow the board to consider developing property for up to 36 rental apartments or owner-occupied townhouses. The community wants the, the housing. That quote from Southampton Town Councilman Tommy John Schiavone following a recent meeting with the Watermill Citizens Advisory Committee. The how of how the parcel at 99 Montauk Highway just east of the junction of 27 and 27A will be determined is to uh, or de- will be developed is to be determined by the town board and the newly created community housing fund advisory committee, which will provide guidance. Um, let's read the weather in Watermill, shall we? Why not? Seems appropriate to me. Looking like rain mainly before 1 o'clock in the afternoon today. Temperature falling to around 45 degrees by 5 o'clock tonight. Southwest wind around 6 miles per hour becoming light and variable in the afternoon. Uh, Rain tonight mainly after 1 in the morning. Areas of fog and a low around 38 degrees. Light northeast wind becoming east 10 to 15 miles per hour in the evening. Winds could gust as high as 25, however, so make sure... Your property is uh, secured right now. It's overcast and it's 50 degrees. So pretty warm uh, for right now. Uh, I haven't decided if I'm going to play this NF track. I think I'll play uh, one of my favorites from um, from this year. I remember when uh, the Walkman released the 2001 record, Everyone Who Pretended to Like Me Is Gone. And this was my favorite song at the time. Arcade Fires Wake Up from the Funeral Record, and then I'll decide if we're going to hop a straight decade and play NF's Wake Up from their self-titled EP for Little Tom Petty, Amy Winehouse, and The Temptations, Little Feet, and Nancy Atlas Project on deck after that. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love.
All right, instead of jumping forward a decade in time, we're going to hop back one decade to Tom Petty's Wildflowers record. It's Wake Up Time on WLIWFM, NPR Radio. You follow your feelings, you follow.
It's okay in the day I'm staying busy Tied up enough so I don't have to wonder where is he Got so sick of crying So just lately When I catch myself I do a 180 I stay up clean the house Run around just so I don't have to think about thinking That silent sense of content That everyone gets Just disappears Soon as the sun sets He's fierce in my dreams, seizing my guts He, he floods me with dread Something so
Wake Up Alone from the 2006 record Back to Black to the Temptations. Wake Up to Me from the Bareback record, 78. Before we slide along one year to 79 and play Wake Up Dreaming from Little Feet's Down on the Farm record. Then back to the new millennium with our very own Nancy Atlas project. Wake Up Tomorrow from the Swagger record. Right here on the Wake Up Edition of the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, WLIWFM, Long Island's only local NPR radio station.
give a quick shout to LTV Studios hosting Georgian National Dances this Sunday at 2 p.m. 
featuring music, dance, and choreography. Uh, they're also going to be uh, doing a really cool thing, which is a Sisnami. Uh, hold on. I want to make sure that I say her last name correctly. I know I have the name, the name uh, phonetics on here as well. Okay. So Sissy Sakvar Lishwili is going to uh, be reading, I think it's Diary of a Red-Haired Girl. Uh, yes, it's, it's her passages from her memoir, offering deeper and profound insights into the Georgian culture and literary traditions. Um, it's the... The the Georgian, it's uh, Pesvebi, the the leading Georgian cultural center from New York City, will be making a mare, a rare East End appearance and debut at LTV Studios this Sunday at two. So ltveh.org for more information about that. I know that there's something else I wanted to also mention. Ah. So on Friday, tomorrow at 7 p.m. in St. Luke's Episcopal Church in East Hampton, 18 James Lane, uh, Joy Jan Jones, who recently uh, sang a selection from the American Songbook at a sold-out concert in East Hampton, is going to be performing again at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, Friday, at St. Luke's. Uh, so for more information, you can call 631-329-0990. Uh, speaking of music, uh, and I also just want to note the uh, WLIWFM Instagram page. Uh, Delaney posted a bunch of great local musicians' gigs. Starting tonight, Krista and John will be at Blue Point Brew Pub. Tomorrow, G.E. Smith and Duke. Oh, gosh. That's that's Nancy. And Duke Robillard at uh, Suffolk Theater. Nancy Atlas, her fireside sessions at Bay Street Theater. And then um, there's going to be an invitational program at the clubhouse on the 28th. Speaking of Nancy, here is the Nancy Atlas Project. This is Wake Up Tomorrow from the Swagger Record of 2002. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio.
beginning to clear Cause it's take it or leave it, baby That's my story and I'm sticking to it Wake up tomorrow and do something that I've never done Through will that someone is watching comes and always goes circumstances beyond my control but you can bring them on baby cause I'm back to being built to take wake up tomorrow and do something that I've never done fool that someone is watching Nancy Atlas, the 
final Fireside Sessions will be this weekend at Bay Street Theater. Baystreet.org for tickets. The King Brothers and Sack leading you into the NPR News Break. A little brand new sheer if we have any time left over. Well, we told your mama that we'd be in by ten Well, Susie, baby, looks like we've goofed again Wake up, little Susie Wake up, little Susie We gotta go home Wake up, little Susie Wake up Wake up, little Susie Wake up was so hot, it didn't have much of a plot. We fell asleep, our goose is cooked, our reputation is shot. Wake up, little Susie, wake up, little Susie. Well, what are we gonna tell your mama? What are we gonna tell your pa? What are we gonna tell our friends when they say, ooh la la, wake up, little Susie, wake up, little Susie, wake up. Little Susie, wake up, wake up, little Susie, wake up, we've both been sound asleep, wake up, little Susie, and weep, the movie's over, it's four o'clock, and we're in trouble deep, wake up, little Susie, wake up, little Susie, we gotta go home, we gotta go home, wake up, little Susie. Wake up! We'll be going home very shortly. Joining us tomorrow morning here on The Heart, Joan Lyons talking about Glass Menagerie at Southampton Arts Center. Um, who's going to lead us in? Looks like Saks tomorrow. I'll wake up a different man from the Adventura Majestica record of 2001. Then Brandy Shearer, when you wake up from the Love Don't Make You Juliet record of 2000. Nine, I'm Gianna Volpe. Big thanks to Marilyn joining us this morning here on The Heart. Uh, I hope tomorrow you wake up a slightly better version of the person you are today. And, uh, yeah, sending lots of love in your direction. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Sack and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLI WFM, news you can trust, music you love.